0: This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast.
1: Well, you know, Alan Price, 40, I'll be 44 this year. Hey. Been married for 22 wonderful years to the love of my life and We've got an 11-year-old boy that is our absolute miracle, but we'll we'll get into that. I will have to give my little brother a shout-out, Craig. He's the one that talked to me about your podcast because, oh, of course, he knows my story. He's like, hey, you've got to listen to this Comeback podcast. But Nash, I'll tell you, we've listened to the podcast every time we're in the car of the family. That's what we listen to.
0: Yay, that makes me so happy.
1: Yeah, we we spent 11 hours driving to DC back and we listened to the podcast the whole time.
0: Oh my gosh, that just makes me so happy. Thank you for being a supporter.
1: <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And I and I think the reason why we relate to it so well is just what we went to we went through together and you know as a husband and wife. The thing is, I have two wonderful loving parents. My dad was raised in the gospel, my mom was a convert at the age of 16. Uh lived in South Carolina and just is like, hey, if, if I'm gonna join this church, I'm gonna be all involved. And she moved across the country and went to Rick's College when it was Rick's at Rick's and met my dad. And you know, I'm I'm one of seven kids, a big family, a lot of love, was raised in the gospel, you know, had I, I can remember having a testimony of the gospel at a very young age and understanding and knowing that, hey, that this is true. And where where my story kind of gets off track or different is that we moved from Utah to Northern California when my dad, after the you know, he worked for Hercules when they were making the parts for the um, space and the ship, you the ship exploded and so they did a bunch of layoffs and so my dad went to work for a company in Northern California. While we were there, you know, there there isn't members of the church everywhere. It's just completely different being outside of the, the Utah norm when it comes to the church and knowing that, hey, wait a minute, I'm the minority now. There's not a whole lot of exposure. And, you know, and I, and I, and I truly remember, you know, got baptized, got the priesthood, all that stuff, you know, as, as you do, you know, growing up in the gospel in a home where so it's truly gospel centered. But like I shared within that email, Ashley, is that our neighbor had happened to give my brother and I a whole box of comics. And as I'm soaring through one, there's a pornographic comic. And that was that exposure, you know, for me, you know, with that being a 13, 14 year old kid, never being seen that, you know, that kind of is like, wait a minute, I'm feeling things I've never felt before seeing things
0: yeah one thing my husband he always says is that he remembers hearing a talk that said it's not if you run into pornography it's when you run into pornography for young men and not only young men but just it's it's everywhere
1: so you think back this is probably late 80s you know when this happened And it's just something that I didn't expose my, my brothers to didn't talk to my parents about it. It's just kind of one of those things that, and that's my biggest problem. Come to find out through all of this, as I internalize all this stuff and don't talk about it. I don't, I don't allow myself to, to share that. I just suffer in silence Mm -hmm. and, you know, and so, you know, you're exposed to that. You go back, you continue to be exposed to that you know, I struggled with it at times. There's just no doubt about it. Pornography I struggled with it and still advanced through the priesthood though, you know, but then my senior year of high school just before my parents moved us to Utah. So I go from Northern California. Then I go to go to Utah and it's just absolute culture shock for me. Absolute culture shock. And, you know, You know, wonderful things have come out of that, like meeting my beautiful wife that's sitting right here. But in that, I really had lost the desire to want to serve a mission, you know, just had no, no intent. I, you know, my brother went out on his mission a year late. He was 20 when he went out. You know, I had a girlfriend, thought I was in love, had a really good job. And and I just didn't want to go. I didn't that was not something that was a priority to me anymore. And looking back at it now, it's just having that struggle of feeling that ultimate of being unworthy of what I've seen, you know, what you've done, of course that leads to being promiscuous with with girls and stuff like that. You know, you, you talk about the first base, second base, third base stuff, none of that home run stuff, of course, but you know, still put yourself in a position that you just don't feel worthy. And so the easiest thing for me at that time was I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to put on a, on a face and go like I'm going through the motions like many people have talked about on your podcast. And this is where I'm going to get emotional and I apologize, is that my Heavenly Father had different plans for me. I mean, how is it that as an 18-year-old kid, I happen to have a ctr ring on my left middle finger? Two minutes before I'm supposed to get off the clock, my supervisor asked me for my paperwork. And so I climb up the outside of the scaffolding, Ashley, and I jumped. And my middle finger on my left hand, I ripped everything off the bone, pulled the tendon and a piece of muscle out.
0: Oh, my gosh. I And I saw your email address and I was like, he owns that, man. He owns and,
1: it. Yeah, and you have to. And you'll see behind me that... That's the pictures of the Savior's hands because they they just mean so much to me now. And so, Ashley, you don't think about it. I passed out with with pain. My dad had to make that difficult decision of what do I do for my son? You know, how do I give him the best quality of life? And the doctor's like, hey, his best quality of life is going to amputate it. So they amputated it. Um, you know, did some wonderful work. You you can hardly tell, but where the story gets really cool and the miracle about it is that my dad says, son, I know you're struggling, but what are you going to do with your life? What do you want to do? And at that point I said, dad, I don't know. And my dad tosses a book of Mormon at me and says, son, you need to figure this out. You know, so I had some good discussions with my sister, um, my older sister who I love dearly. Uh, who we served missions at the same time, but I got myself clean. Got myself went and talked to my bishop. Get did everything I needed to do to be able to serve a mission. And the miraculous part about it, and like I shared in my story, is that they weren't going to let me go unless I could get released from a doctor. And my stake president in my interview says, "Alan, if you're meant to go, your Heavenly Father will provide a way." And for a doctor to release me at five months is just unreal. Unreal for that to happen. It happened March 17th on St. Patrick's Day of 98. I was in the mission, Mich- I was in the MTC, I think it was August 2nd or 3rd. It's just crazy how the Heavenly Father, if he has a plan, he has a plan for all of us and he's gonna provide a way. But with my stubbornness, my heavenly Father has to kick me.
0: Yeah, he,
1: he, and He has to, and and I and I've come to terms with that. That there's times I have to be kicked to get moving. And you know, like I talked about in the in the emails, I had a lot of wonderful experiences on my mission. And and the one that I like to share most about because it ties to losing a finger is that actually I knocked on a door one day. And here's this little boy that answers the door, had to be five or six years old. And I look down at his hands and he's only got four fingers on his left hand.
0: Oh, my.
1: He was born without his thumb. Oh, my God. So they took his index finger and moved it, surgically moved it to his thumb. And someone who's had this happen, you just notice all this stuff, right? Right. And so here I am, just crouched down, talking to this little, this little boy and talking about, hey, look, I've got four fingers, too. It's okay. And it opened up the opportunity for me to teach the gospel to this family. Who would have thought that losing a finger would put me in a position to where I would be able to teach the gospel to a family and to start them on the path to returning to live with their heavenly Father? I mean, that's just crazy, right? It is crazy. It's just crazy to think that, our, that that those things happen, you know, and that's that's just one part of the story and, and what goes on and finished out my mission. Uh, you know, the last six months of my mission, my wife and I now got really pretty serious. I dear Jane, the girl that I was dating before I wrote her off and said, I've had enough. At the end of the day, I knew who I, I just knew who I was meant to marry. I knew that I had to marry my wife, Michelle, because there isn't a single other person alive on this earth that was going to make me a better man. And I knew that. What's funny is I told her little sister before I left, I said, hey, don't tell anybody. But when I come home off my mission, I'm going to marry your sister. So we did, you know, I came home, we got married. I got home in August. We were married in February, got married in in the Logan Temple. You know, and I was doing really good, wasn't struggling with pornography. You know, they'd gone through the repentance process with that, you know, served an honorable mission and, and had a really good time. But we weren't expecting the fact that we wouldn't be able to have kids. And that's where this story gets to the suicide piece for me. This is where my path starts down the fact of not feeling worthy, not feeling like I'm really a son of my heavenly father. We went 11 years before we got our miracle baby. So we moved to Southern California. We were active. We were, you know, attending our callings and doing all that. We'd been married that first year. And we, you know, you get those, hey, you're newlywed. When are you going to start family? And we're like, we are, we are, right? Mm -hmm. One year goes by, two years go by, three years go by. Oh, wait, you don't, you still don't have kids? At this time, we know something's wrong. My wife has a history in her family of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, to where their hormones aren't balanced, to where they produce the hormones they need to, to have eggs grow. It's just part of, you know, hereditary. But what we didn't know is the impact that I'd have in that process. And to know that at some point in my life, uh, my hips got off. A half of an inch off of each other and my whole left side pinched the bottom three nerve endings that go to my reproductive system wow and we didn't know and so my wife and I as we were discussing before we get this is just trying to understand the the timeline and and it doesn't matter so much the timeline but we the doctors in California where we live were like hey you guys will never have kids. Mm-hmm. But at this time, I never registered the impact that I had in this. And then we moved back to Utah. At this time, you know, we're we're going to church and we moved back to Utah. But I distinctly remember that we're driving back from a doctor's office and the doctor was very clear and specific with me and says, Alan, you're part of the problem. Michelle is fixable through medication, but there's nothing we can do for you. Wow, And I'm telling you, Ashley, that was the first moment that I ever thought about killing myself, Mm. that I truly felt that I was not worthy to be a son of my heavenly father. It was the first time I ever had doubts that I was loved. And it was the first time that I felt like that me not being on the earth was the best thing to do for my wife. And at the same time, believe it or not, is that I got moved to the weekend shift with work. I worked for Walmart. We didn't talk about it. 19 years working with Walmart Logistics. But I went to work in the weekends. Well, how simple is that? You're struggling because you're taught in the gospel. I remember, hey, you go through the priesthood, you serve a mission, you get married in the temple, and you have kids, right? Mm -hmm. That's what happens. That's what we're taught to do. And I couldn't provide that for her. And then you add the fact that I'm working weekends, actually then not going to church every Sunday. That's when I spiraled out of control to the point that my wife now talks about that. She goes, Alan, I thought for sure you were cheating on me, mm. but it wasn't that it was, I was struggling to stay alive. Absolutely stuck, struggling to stay alive. To the point, Ashley, that we're, we're driving back from family and we get to Salteria and we get in this huge argument about kids. She wants to continue. And I've had enough because I'm barely staying afloat. At this point, I've tried to kill myself two or three times in a car.
0: Did your wife have any idea about that?
1: No, none. She had zero idea what was going on, Ashley suffering in silence was my thing yeah so we're at solterra and we're head we're in this humongous fight i get out of the car and i slam it and i'm walking on the freeway and she's following i don't know 10 15 feet behind me with flashers on and actually i'm saying some horrible things to my heavenly father i am so mad so fuming screaming cussing just I don't want to be here. I don't want to be alive. Don't put me through this. I can't do this. I can't give her what she's always wanted to be was to be a mom. And I can't give that to her. There's nothing that hurts more than not being able to give the person you love the most what they want the most.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just it hurt we get into the infertility and we meet this beautiful man. And he was the head of the infertility department at the university of Utah. And he sits us down and he says, you were my daughter and Alan, you were my son-in-law. I would, I would tell you guys, let's do some artificial inseminations first before we go through the in vitro process. And he goes, let's do five of these and let's see how we go. And of course, I had doubts. Michelle's gung ho, let's do this. So we we do four of them un- unsuccessful. And how disheartening is it? Because you go in, it's scheduled, you go in for your ultrasound, then you say, Hey, all right, looks like you've got a follicle big enough. Let's go, Alan, go give your, you know, your sample. And they I'm sitting next to her, they inject her with the syringe, and we find out two weeks later.
0: Mm
1: you know, it's just this rigid and you just, it's on these emotions and
0: yeah.
1: all your families know what you're doing. And then it's the letdown of when that, when it doesn't work again, that drives me. I'm just getting darker and darker and darker in this process. Yeah. And so my wife is inspired. It's all I'll say is that she's inspired. She says, Hey, let's go to seattle i'm a diehard seattle seahawks fan so she buys tickets for the new year's game that's right around there and at this time actually i'm like i want a divorce i want to kill myself all those thoughts because i can't go through this anymore Mm -hmm. so we're there and she's in we're in seattle we have a really good time we work on each other feeling better at that moment right you're on that high you feel good comes to the suicide aspect of stuff. And she's like, hey, I want to try one more time. I'm just like, why are we going back? Why are we putting ourselves back through this? Why are we doing this to ourselves when we know we can't have these kids? And she's just like, Alan, I I, I need to. I'm going to do it without you or not. And she did. She did it without me. She had the medication. She didn't have to go to the doctor. She did the medication on her own. And I don't know, I, and I can't remember how she got me to go. She got me to go to the doctor's office with her. And you see the nurse, and she just is like, you could see it on her face that it's not good. And so a woman's egg, the follicle, has to be over 20, whatever, millimeter, centimeter, whatever, the for it to actually release. Well, they tell us it's a thirteen. And again, it goes back to that devastation part of it. And he's like, just come back. And the doctor is begging us, just come back, come back in three days, come back in three days. And Michelle can see that I'm just not happy. And she's bawling in tears and just, just not you know, not okay. And I'm just like, whatever, we're in it this far, let's go. Well, guess what? Three days later, guess what happens? Her egg is 23. Oh my gosh. 48 hours 36 hours later, we're in the doctor's office and they inject her with, you know, my sperm. Literally two weeks later, we find out we're pregnant. Wow. And actually this whole time, the doctors gave us a 5% chance of this workout. Oh my gosh. Again, prayers are answered, right? Then there's that high again there's that high. And of course, I'm still struggling. Wife still has no idea that I want to commit suicide, that I don't want to be alive, that anytime we have these arguments, that it brings that back up. She has no idea. We go through the pregnancy. Pregnancy was rough. She was sick the whole time. It was rough. But we have Gage. I get myself. We go talk to the bishop. And I don't share that I'm struggling with suicide, but I don't have an issue with don't, alcohol, drugs. No, I don't have that, didn't have that issue. So he's like, yeah, sure, you can bless your son. That's great. So I get to bless my son, which is a great thing. But unbeknownst to my wife, because she has no idea what I'm dealing with, I got put on the back burner. But here's this mom that has been nothing but wanting to be a mom. Of course, she's going to throw all her love and attention into this child. Right?
0: Yeah. But I'm struggling. Yeah.
1: And I spiral right back out of control again. I'm driving on the freeway. We get in a fight and I'm heading toward the brick wall. The median, I'm heading toward it. The last minute, Heavenly Father says, Alan, you've got a wife and kid at home. At the last second, Ashley, I pull out. And I'm fishtailing on the freeway. The last second. Heavenly Father reminds me. What I have. But that was a turning point. At that point. We're five six years in. And she's like. What is wrong with you? And I finally told her. I finally told her. That I don't want to be alive. I'm sick of being second place. I'm sick and tired of that. I don't feel like. I matter to you that you got what you wanted and I'm on the back burner and I'm like, Michelle, I'm so sick and tired of feeling this way and I don't want to do this anymore. But that was the moment that we started healing. Because I've been carrying that burden for six, wow, five, six years by now, all by myself nobody knew we didn't tell any family we were embarrassed i was embarrassed you know i I didn't want any additional focus put on me one i've only got nine fingers that's noticeable it gets talked about two when you've been married 11 years and you don't have kids and you walk into church and what do you get every time you walk in why don't you have kids what's wrong you should try this or you should just be relaxed. You know, people are so insensitive Yeah. when it comes to that stuff. They don't know. They don't know. I mean, infertility 11, 12 years ago was a taboo. You just didn't talk about it. Yeah. It wasn't a mainstream thing that, you, that people talk about. The other piece that helped me on my healing path back to the gospel was when we moved out of Utah. I couldn't be there and feel the darkness every time I drove by Saltaire to go see family or anytime I drove by to see where that spot on the freeway where I tried to take my life this time and then the other road on this time, right? All those times that you constantly, you're just having this reminder as you're trying to heal. Yeah. You know, and my beautiful wife being inspired as she is praying to how she can help me said, Helen, what triggers this? What triggers you wanting to kill yourself? I I don't know. She goes, well, the next time you feel that way, let's talk about it. And guess what? I'm driving home from work one day, and we just get into it. And I'm like, look, stop yelling at me. I can't talk to you while I drive. I just want to kill myself right now. And we come to find out that when, as we talk back, any time that I was in a car and we were arguing or something, was, that's when I would feel it at most. Well, come back. When's the first time I ever thought about killing myself? Where was
0: I? In the car.
1: I was in the car. So we figured out that for me to not have that, that we don't talk while Alan's driving. We just don't. We tried music. Music didn't work. Silence didn't work. And so it has to be a book, a podcast, something It has to be something that keeps my mind active when I drive. That's all I'll listen to while we drive. It's, it's something like that. And I know now that I have to in order to keep my, my brain active in that stuff so I don't have those reoccurring thoughts and stuff that are going to it.
0: During all of this time that you're going through, you're, you know, dealing with the suicidal ideation, you're, you're struggling with all of this. Were you, and I know you were working on Sunday. What was your, where was your testimony of the church at at that point? I mean, where was that at? Was it just like completely gone? And also your wife, was she still attending church or where was she at at that time?
1: So that's a great question. I think I for me, I was so frustrated with my heavenly father in this whole process that at this point in my life actually I would say I didn't have I didn't have a belief in a heavenly father. Okay. And I and I struggled with with that with knowing that if he really did love me and I've done what he's asked me to do, why in the world is he putting me through this pain in English? You know, there'd be thoughts about that, but it's like, you know what? And, and at this time, Ashley, we're we're not active. Yeah. Um, she never lost her testimony. But as a wife, she's like, I don't know what's wrong with my husband. At, at that point, at that time, she didn't. We work in weekends. It was just easier to not go. She'd go every once in a while. But at the, at the end of the day, it just wasn't important. There was no reading scriptures. There was no praying. There was none of that. I mean, I had no desire, you know, to do that. And that's a great, that's a great question. Cause when we, when we moved from Utah to Arkansas, I went to, was working weekends again. So we still weren't going to church. My
0: Good. uncle went, moved to Arkansas and worked for Walmart. And he was like the head of HR for Walmart. And it's funny cause he lived in Arkansas too. And that's he, worked, awesome. he worked there for like 20 years. So interesting. I wonder if you guys were there at the same time. What's his name? Jared Egbert.
1: I know Jared Come Egbert.
0: On. You're kidding me. You know him.
1: He was my HR partner when I worked in Grantsville. I know Jared.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: What a small world is that? My and, wife's laughing because she knows who he is, too.
0: Oh, my gosh. So he, uh, his wife, Dana, is like my dad's sister. But they took me in when I was on drugs. That's and, who took you in? Yep. Oh, <gasps> And let me live with them.
1: That's the aunt and uncle you talk about. Yep. No way in Arizona. Arizona. Because that's where their regional office was. Yep. 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 That's so crazy.
0: Can you believe that?
1: That is crazy.
0: Well, I'm glad I brought it up.
1: Yeah, I, I am too. Uh,
0: that's, that's crazy.
1: Wrong. So, okay. so I, yeah, no, okay. you're good. So, I'm still, I'm still working weekends. You know, we're not going. I get moved to the day shift and Michelle out of the blue, like, Hey, why don't we go? Why don't we go? <sighs> okay. The weirdest thing. Okay, let's go. We walk in and it was the coldest feeling ever. It was horrible. Actually it was horrible. Nobody said a word to us. Nobody said hi to us. We hung out after to try to figure, and nobody said a word. Oh my I'm I I, we walked out I never went back Michelle tried to go one other time same thing it was cold
0: Mm -hmm.
1: well at at this point you know by this point you know haven't gone for this had this feeling I've had a few had a few beers at this point again unbeknownst to us our heavenly father is still blessing us I get promoted to the assistant general manager area for for a facility in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And we decide to move across the state line because it's just exit one in Tennessee, in Clarksville, Tennessee. Will I get there in March of 2018. Well, Michelle and Gage don't join me until July. We have no idea how our records got transferred. No clue. We didn't tell anybody we moved. Nothing. Wow. I just so happened to rent a house sight unseen. We hadn't even seen the inside. And I'm working because, you know, the building we're going to turn around. While Michelle and Gage weren't with me, right across from the hotel was an O'Charlie's. Well, at the end of a long day, I would go sit at O'Charlie's at the bar, eat, and I would have an angry orchard. Right? And that was my drink of choice at the time. And I would, I'd have one, maybe two, but that was it. I mean, nothing, nothing drastic, never got drunk at that time. But I, you know, I've had, I'd have a few, but here's where the comeback to the gospel comes into play. Because at this point, I pretty much have healed from a, from a, from the suicide aspect of it. It had been a few years since I've actually had the, and an actual attempt. Have there been moments where you think about it? Yeah, but an actual ad- attempt, it had been a few years. I felt like I got that pretty much under control with us figuring out our triggers. So we move, we, we move, we're in Tennessee, we're in Clarksville and lo and behold, missionaries knock on our door. You know, we're friendly, I, you know, served a mission. Going to be nice. he going to let him in. And elder Smith, if you listen to this buddy, it's all your fault that I'm back in the gospel. Is he point Blake looks me in the eye and goes, hey, why aren't you coming to church? What's what's the deal? You know, and at this point, I'm still not comfortable talking about my suicide with anybody. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. He's like, well, will you come to church? I'm like, well, I've already committed to working weekends, you know, to my boss. That doesn't change until. August. And so this was, you know, a month and a half away when they came and stopped by. So they kept coming by and would say hi. And so I f- they kept asking, when's that time you're going to be able to be off? And so we, we told them and I flat out said, well, if we come, if you're not there. We're walking out because they did. They had the singles ward that was in another building across town. I'm like, if you guys don't show up, we're walking out. Well, Ashley, I'm telling you, we walked in and it felt like home. Mm. Home. We walk in and I'll be honest, I've always struggled with the traditions of the church. Faux for years, big beard, used to be bigger. You know, I would refuse to wear color, uh, white shirts when I go, would wear color because I know in the handbook that it doesn't say you have to have a white shirt. Right. So struggle with all these traditions. Well, guess what? Our bishop, who is amazing, is black young man that's blessing the sacrament is in a striped shirt with no tie. And I'm like, okay, these are real people that are living the gospel, that it's not a show.
0: Yes, I love that.
1: It's not, they're not putting on a front. Because having a bishop with that type of insight that will let a young man bless the sacrament, because all that matters is that he's there and he's worthy, not about what he's wearing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I can work with that. Well, guess what? The missionaries were late. We almost walked out. So we get coming back. We had no ideas how our records got there. And it was just like a light went off in me, actually. It was like, okay, this has been gone for far too long the overwhelming feeling of knowing that my heavenly father loves me was so impactful in my life at that point because I hadn't felt that way in a long, long time. And so we do, we, I mean, we'd been there for, I don't know, month or two, couple months. And the bishops like wants to meet with us. It was like, hey, what's going on? What can we do to help you get back on track? And You know, we do that. We become full tithe payers. We do do that. We get our temple recommends. We get that. You know, I get called to be the second counselor in an elders quorum presidency. Prior to this time, it had just been teaching primary or youth. Nothing. Wife gets called in to be the second counselor in the primary presidency. We're just like, what? Like, you want us to do this stuff? we're like, all right, sure. Okay. <laughs> and you're just like, this, this is crazy. Right. And, and Ashley, I'm telling you, I may be three, four months having, feeling that way with my heavenly father, feeling loved again, working on my testimony at this time, these people have no clue, none whatsoever. And then my grandma dies and we make the long journey to drive we drove from tennessee took us 26 hours we did it in two days it was brutal but while we're there my wonderful aunt that i know and love just walks up to me out of the blue and goes hey it's so good to have you back and i'm like wait a minute what are you talking about she's like alan your aura's back you're back to who we always have known you are and i'm just like "Oh, oh okay you know you kind of brush it off you shrug it off no big deal we're at my mom and dad's house and my beautiful sister that I love makes a comment because my sister-in-law's sister or somebody had committed suicide and my sister unspannounced to herself says that's the most selfish thing. I can't believe anybody would ever do that. You know, you're going to go to hell if all this stuff happens. And I'm just like, I'm actually, I'm raging. You know, my eyes are just so big and I just, I walked out of the house and Michelle's like, oh my, what are we going to do? Or, or is he going to relapse? Because, I mean, this has been the first time that I had been confronted that way in a long time. So we leave. And of course, I got to tell that my wife is just inspired. She says, why don't we tell people what's going on? And I said, okay. We went to her parents' house. And I told her parents, I said, you know, all those times that I come in the house and just go right downstairs and put on music or watch a movie, they're like, yeah, I was like, I was struggling. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be alive. Had this wonderful spiritual moment with her parents that I have never had. One, I wasn't in a frame of mind at that time living in Utah to build a relationship with those two. So then came the hard part, Ashley. I I told my mom and dad. To see my mom's face going, son, is there anything I could have done to prevent this? And I'm like, mom, there's nothing. You and dad were amazing. And you have no control in the things that have happened in my life. This is not you, please don't feel that way. And that, of course, as a son, that's the horrible thing you could hear is to see your mom ask those questions. But at that point, Ashley, the moment I told my in-laws and my parents, I could tell anybody my story. And believe it or not, that's when it really changed. That's when we both knew that I was meant for bigger things. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We get back to Utah, or not back to Utah, back to Tennessee. And before this, Michelle's like, Alan, I feel like something's coming for you. So I get called to be the young men's president she, and I was like well is that it because I've never been a president of anything and she's like that's not it I get called and literally the next I don't know month later is when general conference they announce the young men's president's going away and we're just like um okay what am I supposed to do right so as the young men president, so I'm acting as that. And this is where it's cool is that one of my young men, his parents confided in me that he tried to commit suicide. Here I am as his young men's president, able to sit and talk with his parents about how to help him. Wow. As a young men's president, actually, I was able to sit with him and just listen and listen to where And, you know, going and asking this young man, what triggers this for you? And talking to his parents that you got to understand what his trigger is. If you can figure out what the trigger is, you can get him on the path to healing. This young man is preparing to serve a mission.
0: Wow. That's so amazing.
1: Had I not shared this with my family, I would have kept it all inside And I wouldn't have put in a position to help that young man.
0: Isn't it interesting how God can work all things to the good of those who love him? All things, even even being suicidal, having to go through all this stuff. He can work all things to the good.
1: Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. And you think about it as a parent, Ashley, we get this much of a glimpse of that because I want to do everything I can for my miracle boy. Mm -hmm. And just to know that our heavenly father does that exponentially. Yep. It's unreal. So we're talking maybe a month and a half after I get called to be the young men's president, I get a call from the state executive secretary that the state president would like to meet with you. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, Hey, I just got called the young man. I'm like, Michelle, this is for you. Cause he said, bring your wife and all that stuff. So we go meet with the steak president and it's literally, he goes, Hey, this is just a meet and greet. I just want to get to know you and we're talking and we're just talking about our story. And I'm, I'm telling him about, you know, my story through suicide and, you know, and, and the, through the finger and our path and how we got there and just, and how we were able to come back and the missionaries that helped that started that process. And and then all of a sudden I put my hand on Michelle's knee and I say, Michelle, I just said, I love her. She means everything to me. And at that moment he says, now, Michelle Gage, would you guys please step out of the room? And I'm just like, okay. Well, then the state president's, Ask me some very pointed questions that he has to ask, right? Is there anything going on in your life and all that stuff? You know, are you chased, you know, living the lot of chat, all that stuff. Well, then he pulls them back in and then we just ends it. And he says, it was just really good to meet you. So we walk out and our really good friends that are in our ward are sitting in the waiting room right there. Well, he meets with them. We'll come to find out after is that, he talks about us the whole time. We're on the way home and Michelle's like, you're going to get called to the bishop. She goes, I know you're going to get called to be the bishop in the war. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. Actually, I will tell you what. A week and a half later on a Wednesday, I get the message from the executive secretary that the, bi- the state president would like to meet you on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. At that moment, I knew. That moment, that moment, the spirit told me that I needed to go look through the ward listing to find out who my counselors were going to be.
0: Oh, my gosh. I just got the chills.
1: (laughs) And I'm telling you, I knew and I knew before I went in there. So that Sunday morning, we're sitting in the waiting room as a family and out walks Bishop Stratty Young, the man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) He is amazing. He's getting called to be in the state presidency.
0: Oh, my.
1: And all we do is hug each other. And we're in tears because we know we're in tears. We go in there. and We sit down. And he says, Alan, you've been called to serve as the bishop of the Clarksville Third Ward. Wow. And I said, President. President. Do you realize I've only had my testimony back for a year and a half? He goes, It doesn't matter. Our Heavenly Father knows that you were supposed to be the bishop at this time. This time, I have the most epic beard. <laughs> it's better <laughs> than what it is. Now. It was better than this, it was a little bit longer. <sighs> And Ashley, he was inspired. He said, Alan, when's the last time you shaved your beard off? When I said, it's been about 10 years. And he goes, so you had that beard through all your trial of suicide and everything. And I said, yeah. He goes, you need to shave it. Not because it's what you have to do. You need to do it to close that chapter in your life. That man was inspired. Wow. Who would have thought that facial hair would have been the final thing I needed? to overcome it, to overcome it. And so that we had this thing worked out that I wasn't going to shave it till the night before, because everybody would know. Yep. Everybody would know. And I'm going to share this quick little snippet but my, my first counselor was excommunicated at one point. Hey, come back to the church. And he was my set, that first counselor. That is huge. Wow. And, and we'll get to that, and, and I know he'll be okay with me sharing that with with the world because yes. they do the addiction recovery.
0: Oh that, my and he
1: said, he says, Alan, you can't release me from that because I know what, what I went through was helping others. I said, I'm good with that. I, that man is 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 amazing. I get called to be the bishop when the state president stood up at that pulpit, Ashley. He says, all of you know that Alan has not had an easy life. All of you know that Alan has made mistakes, but all of you can see that you can overcome that and that Alan is being called to be the Bishop of this ward. How powerful is that?
0: That's so cool.
1: To talk about what you can overcome. And I'll tell you, my greatest moment as a Bishop and I loved it. I absolutely loved being a bishop. Probably it was the funnest calling I've ever had because it was all about the youth, teaching, training, coaching, mentoring them. And I talked about it in my my email to you, the one that ma- that means a lot to me, was that had I not been her clergy when she attempted in her life and she's in that lockdown facility in Nashville, Tennessee, I couldn't have gone in. Mhm had I not been her bishop. There's no way that there isn't a single person alive that can tell me that that was not planned by our heavenly father.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That I went through everything I went through so that I could be the bishop at that time to help this young lady. And she's doing amazing. She's doing absolutely amazing.
0: That's so wonderful.
1: It's amazing, Ashley. It's amazing.
0: I love how you are just the perfect example of how I just love the realness. Like, I mean, I love one of the things that I love so much about this podcast is that people share their real life experiences and testimonies of coming to know their heavenly father without all of the you know trying to be perfect or put on a perfect image or it's like we just like come to the podcast and just bear our whole soul and are completely honest with everything because we have experienced the atonement in our lives and it's such a beautiful thing that it's like if anybody were to ever judge us or whatever it, it doesn't matter because the savior's atoning sacrifice has completely transformed us and it's like our duty to share that and i just love how just authentic you are and how your story is so i mean you've been through so much and then to be called as the bishop is just so incredible just so amazing
1: it's crazy. And so we've moved since then. I was a bishop for 19 months. And that was, it was so painful. So painful to move, to know that we needed to move. Mm-hmm. Like to know that my time and actually talking about the gospel and how the plan's being prepared. Mm-hmm. Bishop in the middle of COVID. Wow. Never been, never been in any auxiliary. I mean, I was a young man's president for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. But what I do for a living prepared me to handle the financial burdens of the ward and going through COVID. I was a transient bishop, brand new. I had to deal with all the people coming in and out of the area to get them the finances that would. Well, guess what? The state president was inspired because I deal with that every day in my job. Wow. Every day in my job. Ashley. I was in a military ward. I had no executive secretary and no ward clerk wow. guess who did it all oh my gosh because I know how to manage it it's right. crazy it is so crazy oh my gosh it is just the craziest thing that these things you know happen so COVID happens right COVID's happened it's locked down temples are locked down this family that we that before I got called as the bishop, we, we were helped fellowship then to get baptized. I become their bishop, help them progress through, get their temple recommends. He gets the Melchizedek priesthood. And it just so happened that they finally opened up for ceilings and they asked my wife and I to be their escorts. Wow. And at this time, Walmart has asked me to leave my wonderful ward. I told them no three times. And they knew that we just bought our house, that I was very active in my church. They knew that I was a bishop because I went from a beard to no beard. Freaked them all out. I didn't tell anybody. All of a sudden, this guy with his beard walks in. And so we're in the celestial room. I get done first. And we both look each other in the eye. And we knew at that moment that we were supposed to move to Georgia friendship we were there that's the longest we had been anywhere in the last five or six years we were there for three years established wife had friends we had friends and we moved to Georgia we're in a branch now we love it they're amazing Um, my wife's the primary president and I'm again the second counselor in the elders quorum presidency teaching every other elders quorum and, and having an absolute blast but what's important is that I've been able to help people that I work with with suicide
0: wow that's amazing
1: and it's just hasn't been in the church mm-hmm. it's been at work it's been at that helping people work through these problems when I got as a bishop it was the last last time they did young women's and excellence stuff mm-hmm. had no idea that I was supposed to speak the the prime the young women's president put my name in there. So I'm quickly searching through what to read. And I come upon a talk. But in the talk, she says, our Heavenly Father does not care how big of a steps we're making toward them as long as we're not standing still. Wow. When we're standing still, Ashley, that's when we allow the adversary to latch on and get to us. It doesn't matter if it's a baby step. It doesn't matter if we're sprinting. He just cares that we're moving forward so that he can bless us. Mm -hmm. That's my message to people when I talk to them is that I was standing still. I allowed those dark thoughts to creep in and grasp a hold of me to lose faith in my heavenly father. But the moment I took that step, was flooded with all these blessings
0: so true i talk often about the step just acting that one tiny step of in faith just taking that one step forward and then it's like that just opens up the door for heavenly father to work miracles in your life
1: and the and the only other advice i give people is that when you're in the midst of chaos lean in don't lean back and you'll get sucked right back in. Lean into it and take that step. Mm-hmm. Because that's so what matters. We're gonna falter every day. Every day. We're gonna falter somehow. We're not gonna read our scriptures, or we're not gonna say our prayer, we're gonna get angry with our spouse, we're gonna get angry with our kid, we're gonna say a swear word, we're gonna do something, right? But as long as you're progressing and it gets farther and farther behind you, that's when the blessings happen.
0: Yeah. So yeah. True.
1: that's my story. Ashley, what questions you got? for me? I
0: Love it, man. That just so good. What advice? This is one that I think is a good one because I actually personally know quite a few people who are going through infertility right now. And It is so heartbreaking. What advice would you have for somebody that is going through infertility and you feel like, or, and maybe their faith is wavering because of that?
1: My, my advice to them is that they've got to find somebody to talk to. You can't hold that in because when we hold those things in and we hold those thoughts in and those thoughts consume us, that's when we stand still, Ashley, Ashley. So my message to anybody that's out there that's listening to this and you're struggling with infertility, whether it's you, your spouse, whatever it is, go talk to somebody. There's people out there that have gone through this, that live this every day. We have very good friends of ours that can't have kids, period. And we talk about it because we understand what each other's go through. Go find that person, whether they're in the gospel or not, it doesn't matter. We as human beings have to talk about stuff. We have to hear it out loud for us to continue our thought processes. When we don't, we hinder our growth. And so, Ashley, that's my advice. Go find somebody. Go find that person that you feel so entrusted that you can fight in, that it will be okay to say that you're mad. It's okay to say that you're disappointed in your Heavenly Father, that it's okay to say that you've done everything that you Heavenly Father has asked you to but you haven't been blessed with that. Go find that person.
0: I love that so much. And my follow-up question to that would be, you've worked a lot with people that are struggling with suicidal thoughts. And obviously this is something that you really, I mean, it's safe to say that I think God has called you to help in this area. And what, what kind of advice, I mean, if it's different, would you have for somebody that maybe feels like they are in that place, like they're, they don't feel like they can talk to people because they're going to be judged or people are going to think they're, you know, crazy or whatever. What advice do you have for somebody that is struggling with that?
1: That's that, that is the hardest thing, Ashley, because I, that's where I struggle is I'm a prideful, I'm a hard headed individual to, again, the heavenly father's got to kick me. Mm -hmm. get me to do what I need to do. But my advice for that person that is struggling with that and doesn't know and doesn't want to feel like they're letting anybody down. If you're a member of the church, go log in to your gospel app and read the search suicide and look at the topical guide. President M. Russell Ballard says it the most beautiful way. He says in there. That we don't know the mind of those individuals. Only our Heavenly Father knows that. And so we got to get out of this stigma that if you kill yourself, you're going to hell. That is a load of crap, right? Only our Heavenly Father and the Savior truly know what they're going through. So my message to you is go, go read that. Go look in your gospel. Go read what it says about suicide. Go listen to those inspired prophets that we have on the earth today. And you will know, you will know that even though you feel this way, you're still loved. Because that was my biggest fear, was if I actually did it, would I ever see my family again? Had we had these tools in front of us, I probably wouldn't have gone as long as I did. But that's okay. Use the tools and resources that are out there. Go again, like the others that were about infertility, go find the person that you can confide in, not somebody who's struggling too, because that can be even more damaging.
0: I love that so much. That is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are just such a light and your story is so amazing. And I just, I'm so excited to share this with everybody because they're, I guarantee I'm going to get a lot of messages from people saying, this is exactly what I needed to hear. So thank you so much.
1: And Ashley, I, the last thing I'm gonna say is that you are truly inspired for doing this. This has meant the world to me because I've lived it. Yep. There's so many people that are out there living it. You are truly being called of our Heavenly Father to do this. You're a light yourself. This is this is absolutely amazing. And I've had a blast. Thank you so much for yes. and again a shout out to my brother Craig for putting me onto this.
0: Shout out to Craig. <laughs> Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help. So thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media. So I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.